Lonnie made me put on a shirt because she was convinced that you were going to lie to me and there would be video. <laughs> uh, you know what's really sad is, did you listen to the episode with Craig? Mm -hmm. Not yet. I did the one with Ian. Okay. I was like, see, I know you didn't because he had the same question. We were just like, on. he's like, oh, so this answered a video thing? I'm like, nope, it's just, just audio. Mm. But I did really want you to show up just pantsless with just your fanny pack. Oh, I'm pantsless. I don't know if I ever told you, like, I caught a shrew and kept it as a pet for, like, a couple weeks. Of course you did. I was at my buddy's farm, and I caught a shrew. And I, I caught a shrew and, like, two baby garter snakes and, like, put them all in a five-gallon bucket and was just showing them <laughs> to my daughter and, and my buddy's kids. And I was like, hey, check when it you out. started like, that story, I thought you were like 12. <laughs> you're like, oh, I just <laughs> caught this shoe and I just put these snakes in the bucket. But you're like, yeah, they showed them to my daughter. Yeah, no, this is like a couple of years, like within the last five years. <clears throat> so <laughs> I caught the shrew and the snakes. And, you know, uh, the kids were looking at them like, wow, forest creatures. And I was like, they were like, hey, dinner's ready. I'm like, cool. Like, leave the bucket on the porch, go into dinner, come out. 45 minutes later, maybe the shrew had eaten an entire snake. That's kind of impressive. Do, do they was, eat them like a noodle or do they like eat them from the middle? It ate them like a corn on the cob, like around the oh, spine. Crazy. It was crazy. And the other snake was like, as far as I've ever seen a snake in a panic, it was in a panic. Like it was trying to escape from the bucket, right? So I released yeah. the other snake. I look up shrews online and apparently the shrew's metabolism is so fast. That if they don't get anything to eat for like a couple of hours, they'll start chewing their own limbs off. Like they'll eat their own like legs up and eat themselves in half until they die. They're so okay, voracious. Man. Like there's this quote on I found on the internet that said, "If shrews were as big as bears, humans would have never dominated the earth." <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I feel like you could say that like about a lot of animals because I feel that way about fucking chickens, dude. If chickens were bigger, like we'd all be fucked. I mean, they were bigger when they were dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah show, uh, showed them with that fucking meteor. Uh, I had to feed that thing constantly, and it, like, really had a terrible smell. Like, you know, like, a pet gerbil has a not great smell, but a shrew has, like, a very acrid version yeah. of that smell. It was like, kind of mild, mildly stupid. skunky, sort of like, uh, what, what do you call like, them? What? Skunky, vinegary, like, not... It's a like, weird sort of like a mink, mink cabot. Yeah, those things. yeah. It's it's got a yeah. They're very stinky. It was gross. It had to eat constantly. It was they're super manic, like methed out little weird animals. I kept it for like a week. I got tired of feeding it every five minutes and just like released it back into <laughs> the woods or my house. I think if you go on my Facebook, there's a video of my daughter. Like I try to have make her release it, and she reaches in for it, and it like flips around and tries to bite her finger. Is this guest Ryan? It is. Oh, jeez. Oh, Were you like... Doesn't he put his name roofied? in? No, so we went to sushi and the lady like just totally ignored us the whole time and then I got back and I realized that I left my room key at the sushi place 
And then did you I leave turn it there for the sushi? My, wait, wait, dude, I hope this lady computer. shows up in the middle of this podcast. Are you doing pathways right now? I am in pathways. I got to work with uh, Implant Santa today. He was one of my mentors. Oh yeah, I follow yeah, Implant man. Ninja. I can't remember if I follow Implant Santa. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, Implant Ninja is cool too. <laughs> I want a cool implant name now. I know. You better jump on like yeah. implant Easter bunny before somebody else gets it. Yeah. <laughs> Super cool. He like broke a key off in a door today, like dodging someone coming out of the bathroom. So like half of our surgery, he wasn't even in the room. He was just like, all right, well, if you need me, come get me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck in this room with a broken key. Yeah. Well, he was stuck outside the room, but he. Just trying to get it out, and they ended up having to call the locksmith, and it was like the supply closet. There's like <laughs> ten surgeries going on. Well, so my partner placed five today. I placed two, but like mm-hmm. I've learned a lot of really like I've learned a ton, and I don't necessarily need to be holding a drill. Like it's more learning the rest of the stuff. Yeah, on, honestly, when you point. assist in placing one, it's like you placed one. Yeah, you're not as stressed out, right? And so like, you placed two today. Mm-hmm. Thomas, how many implants did you place today? Today, I did not place any. But So from two to week, zero, I placed negative week. one today. You took one out? I took one out. Was it yours? was not mine. Nice. So I took it out, grafted it, fucking put a membrane. We'll come back <laughs> to it later and hopefully get another one in there. But it's just like... I don't know. The thing I learned today is like the implant training I've had so far has been like really strict. Like these are the things you need to observe. And here it's like, it almost feels wild westy. They're like, no, that's fine. You got it in there. It's good. So I don't know if they're like, you know, expecting a certain number to fail, but I got to use the osteotomes. So I, I took the, definitely took the harder implants today. The guy that who I was partnered with has only placed like five. So, um, it's good for him to get a bunch of reps um, yeah. today, five being a bunch. But um, I took a, a pretty difficult 19, and then I placed a 14 that we did a, a little lift with osteotomes on. Nice. Um, and that Are was pretty people cool. awake? Yeah. Mm. How do they like that? There was a dude that was here all day today. Just getting implants stuck in different parts of his face. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Like he was a morning patient, then we had lunch, and then he was an afternoon patient. Like it was just—I mean, good for him. Like, and the way that they do it down here is super cool. Um, so it's run as a five hundred three C, so mm-hmm. nonprofit, and the patients don't pay for anything. All of the materials. Now, did they are get uh, crowns <laughs> later, or yeah? So that so they don't pay for any of the like the placements or the surgery portion. Because everything's donated by BioHorizons, um, mm-hmm. but when it comes to like, they have they have fees for like you know single crowns or bridges or something like that. But they were telling us that they do, it's like a single crown and an abutment for like seven hundred bucks. Oh, damn! So there must be Sterak in those, huh? Uh, they've got a lab on site, mm. so I mean. Um, they use pro smiles. Um, but I, I just, it's, it's a super cool value for the patients and the patients are super chill. They're like, I'm here do whatever. Like I'm not paying, <laughs> I'm not paying for it, but I'm getting something, you know? Um, so there were definitely some crazy surgeries. We placed a, a four, two by six today, like a super short. 
um, in site number 29. And like 30 was an implant that was placed really crappy. It was only a 45 degree angle and the bone was super sloped. And we only had like seven millimeters to the IA. Like it was, a, I looked at that one. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I would never do that. So I don't need <laughs> to practice that. Um, this... So my partner did it and he crushed it, but. Um, nice. Crush the IA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think. I mean, the evidence shows the six millimeter, seven millimeter implants—they work. Oh, well, it's all yeah. about surface area, right? Yeah, like they—they're—they're—they're they're, they're working. They're staying in. I mean, I've you seen plenty of deep, super fat, long right? implants fall out. Yeah. So it's not mm-hmm. like long protects you from not losing implants. Yeah, I just think it's yeah. like one of the thing, one of the things I was taught is like your implant can't like if you're placing like, you know, between the cortical plates, like your implant can't be up again. You can't like ride the, the palatal cortical plate. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're like, no, it's fine. It's, you know, it's got vascularization everywhere. There's plenty of trabecular bone. Like you're at the cortical plate. It's fine. Just don't, as long as you didn't perfect, like it's no big deal. And like, it'll heal and integrate just fine. And it's like, okay, that's the complete opposite of the way I was taught. Well, I've seen people really struggle. It's like, they come in with a super resorbed mandible. They want an implant over denture. And, you, you know, I take a 3D, pull up the x-ray, and basically the implant would be in three walls contact with cortical bone. So everything yeah. that is medullary or trabecular, whatever you want to call it, is completely obliterated by the implant touching all the walls. Yeah. I've seen people come in with like their implants are all falling out and they want me to put new ones in and it's the same situation. I'm like, these aren't, there's just no blood flow there. They're not going to survive. Exactly. And I think that's our point is like, there's medullary bone everywhere. Like you didn't flap the palatal. It's still got the periosteum that's still got blood flow. Like, and the palatal bone most likely isn't going to resorb. So like you're good. Yeah. So I just thought that was, as long as you're not riding the buckle wall. Are they doing socket shield and stuff like that? Like, what do you guys learn about uh, that? No, that's part of the advanced course. So, like, I have a number nine immediate coming up, and I was going over with one of the mentors going over the CT, and he was like, yeah, he's like, you're going you're gonna to get done with this, and then you're going to come down here, and you're going to take the advanced fast track, and you're going to look back at that case and go, damn, I should have done socket shield. Yes, um, socket shield, flapless, um, and then like entering the socket at just, you know, this specific point, it um, works out pretty slick. I get, like I was taking a class the other day and they were saying that if you flap the anterior, you're going to lose a millimeter and a half of bone just by flapping. Yeah. Because all of the blood supply is coming from the flap. Yep. So hundred percent. Interesting. They uh, also teach, uh, for like the the other thing I like about this, I took this as like a simple placement, but like all of our cases tomorrow morning are full arch cases. So mm-hmm. right. they're like, if you don't have anywhere to put and your anterior implant, like nasopalatine canals, a super sweet spot to put an implant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can obliterate uh, that. doesn't cause any problems. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it's super interesting to me to like, that's the first time I've, I've heard it in passing, but never like, no, it's totally fine. Like it's pretty much an already prepped osteotomy for you. You just got to find what implant fits there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's super cool. It's been, it's been great. I, I definitely think I'm probably going to take the advanced fast track next year, but awesome. Yeah. Come take this one with me. I mean, so you, 
when you complete this class, you become a fellow of the AAID. When you complete the one you're doing in the advanced? No. No, just a simple fast track. You become a fellow. Right. And then how do you become a master? A diplomat. Uh, diplomat. Uh, there's like didactic stuff you have to do, and then you have to present a certain amount of cases. Hmm. So it's, I've a, it's a long that, process. Like, I've heard a, that Justin Moody won't grant you the rank of master, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> is it Dude, like. Justin, is Justin it, Moody's super cool. Is it, is it like uh, Highlander? Like, well, I have to cut off Justin Moody's head to become the next master. <laughs> yeah. What's up, homies? I hope you're enjoying the episode that we have for you today. Please send us some feedback or let us know what you want to hear next at offthecuspaul or offthecusbrian at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook and check out our WhatsApp app. All right, later. So should, we, should we like officially start this somehow? Sure. Do you guys have like a little intro sound like uh, the drill God, or something? Like every time we interview someone, it's like, hey, I don't listen to your podcast. I listen to your <laughs> podcast, but I'm just saying, like, you have some sort of like marker that you use to like let you know where to start editing or anything. Uh, so what we or do, do is we just, just like shut hit up for like ten seconds, and then I cut it there. It's pretty easy for me to find. And then if there's useful stuff in what we were talking about before, he goes in and adds it in somewhere else. Yeah, there's there's nothing useful in anything we said before. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's some good implant discussion, which actually fits in better with our last episode. Because who, who was your last guest? No one. Oh, Craig was the last Paul. guest, and then we do like a non-guest, and then guest. Because uh, Paul and I talked about babies for like an hour last time. Yeah, so. that's pretty much. <laughs> it's like, what 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 color your, is your nursery going to be? Um, what kind of crib are you going to <laughs> oh, Maybe man. if we no, have all gender children, they can date each other. Oh, that's that's real weird. You guys are getting real off in the weeds on that one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's literally was part of our last well conversation. I don't know if it'll be on the last podcast. See if our children can date each other. I um I'm so <laughs> glad that I don't have a baby or a baby on the way or any threat of a baby in my life at this point. I'm too old and too tired. You, I don't know. You don't Tom, I've seen some photos of you. It looks like you got that 10 week bump going on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get this started. So Ryan, who do we have on the cast of this week? It's beautiful T-bone. I mean, Thomas grass, Thomas, how the fuck are you? Too good, Paul. Too good. Excellent. Excellent. So we kind of, kind of want to start, uh, you know, we all went to school together you were the one that really went straight from school uh, to buying a practice, getting right into ownership right away. How did you set that up while still in school? A few things. One, you know, some, some of us, we were moving around and doing a ton of CE, doing a ton of ASDA stuff while we were in school. So we were able to get, a, you know, a lot of exposure to information that would be helpful to owning a practice. And I think mm-hmm. I try to tell dental students this all the time go out, talk your way into CE for free or for cheap, um, you know, be nice to people, get some airline miles from your grandma, fly across the country if you have to, crash on somebody's couch and, and really get the information that everybody complains about isn't available to them when they're in dental school. There's being taught to them in dental school. That's that, I think that was huge. You know, I think Dental Success Summit, some of the stuff that we went to really 
opened my eyes to what running a practice and owning a practice looked like. Definitely. Everything I did was, you know, networked with bankers, with lawyers, with insurance people, like just got to know them while I was in school. And that helped a lot to get a loan right out of school. I had no work history, no production data to be able to point to and say, hey, look, I can keep a practice going. I can produce enough to survive. I didn't have any of that. And I see a lot of misinformation. I see people constantly on Facebook saying, I want to buy a practice in the next few years. Like, So I guess I need $50,000 for a down payment. I guess I need this. I need that. Should I buy a house first? Should I buy a practice first? There's all this information going around on the internet. It's like, you don't have to have any money down to buy a practice. Um, You don't, you know, there's talk to a banker, quit asking random people on Facebook, what you need to do to buy a practice, go to the people that are actually going to give you money. And that's who you need to please. And, you know, I had to write some extra letters to the bank about why I thought I was going to be able to do this and how I was going to be able to be successful. But the banker ultimately had to go to bat for me with their boss and say, hey, this is a good bet. This is a guy that we should loan money to. He's going to make this successful. And I think, you know, it's going to work out. Um, For the first little while after you buy a practice, they make you send in your financial statements every quarter. Um, They want to look and make sure that you're not running the business into the ground and they're going to get their money back. Um, but after like a year or so, they stop bugging you for that stuff and they see that you're going to make it work. But I tell people, you can take over an office from an older doc that's slowing down and, you know, ready or past ready for retirement right out of school. You're fast. Yeah, and that's, you- that's more or less what you did, right? Yeah. Yeah. I so mean, how did you find this near dead practice owner? <laughs> Practice owner wasn't near dead. Um, actually, the practice okay. that I, I bought. I was picturing like he was Hugh Hefner. You were one <laughs> of the playmates. You know, yes. Not it wasn't like that. Not I mean, the, not the one that I ended up buying. I looked at a couple dozen practices, right? And a lot of them mm-hmm. were that way. They were the, the you know the the practice. You know, the, the retiring dentist was well past ripe. He was ready for you know to be made into banana bread, but. Um, the one I ended up buying was a dentist who actually retired probably about 10 years early due to medical, right? Oh. Um, so, but that medical had slowed him down, you know, and made it harder to practice. He's taking more time off and, and having to cancel a schedule more often because he still didn't feel well enough to practice on, on a lot of days. Um, so it worked out for me because, you know, hadn't it wasn't completely antiquated and it wasn't, you know, some of the practices are just too small. You're going to find that a lot when you go out and look for practices. A lot of them don't make enough money to pay for themselves and to pay you as the owner. Very common. Yeah, I was actually just talking with a guy that he bought a practice um, from a retiring prosthodontist. And he's like now converting Man, I thought that you were going to say prostitute. My head's on the guy uh, today. From a retiring prosthodontist. And he is essentially considering it a, a scratch. Because he's got to kind of rebuild it. He got the equipment, but other than that, he didn't really get a whole lot out of it. Um, That's a bold move. It is a bold move, but you know what? I think he's in a good market, and I think he's going to do really well. It's just going to take him take him some time to get there, and he knows that, and he's you know very aware of what he bought. He's been out of school a little bit longer than we have, and you know, super super nice guy. But I th- I think his head's in the right place. Yeah, I th- I think a lot of people want to find this perfect thing. And a lot of times the perfect thing doesn't exist or it doesn't exist in your price point. 
you know, or what you can really do. And it's and a lot of those great practices are sought out by DSOs, and DSOs are going to go in and offer those docs money before they re- they're ready to retire. They're going to try to keep them on for five years, buy them out. Um, so these aren't even necessarily they don't even hit the market they go directly into the into the ownership of a dso and you got to be willing maybe to cobble together some days work a couple days here a few days there to build something up a little bit like that guy you're talking about yeah sometimes those those long shots pay off massive yeah and uh speaking of i mean uh I mean, that's more or less what you did, right? You started, you got this acquisition, but then you've also been kind of working an associateship to, to make it work as well. Yeah, I mean, the associateship, I would say, was almost more about skill development than it was about making mm-hmm. money. I, 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 I was never going to starve to death, even coming in right out of school with my own office. I mean, it, it would have kept me... I would have been fine financially. You know, the important thing is if you, you know, in my opinion, if you buy a smaller office, when I say smaller, I mean smaller production wise, like sub eight or nine hundred thousand dollars a year production, that's okay as long as it's also not structurally deficient, i.e., it's not like a three chair office with no room for expansion or, you know, four chairs. I think that limiting yourself space wise is a big mistake. And I, I see a lot of people, they ask me, hey, I'm looking at this practice, you know blah, 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 you know, it, it does, you know, 550, it's got three chairs or four chairs. And if you start to grow that, you're going to run out of room really quickly. Yeah. And that, having that extra, that fifth op to be able to throw in an overflow or do a quick crown seat or a denture adjust without cutting into your product productivity in your other chairs, I think is really important. And I think that I'm okay with a lower producing office that has growth potential as long as it also has potential for you to get more bodies through the door and people hamstring themselves. I'm like, well, it's okay. I'll just build out some more ops. It's like, that's super expensive to do that. Equipment Mm -hmm. insane. I was looking at refitting two of my ops, just chairs and, you know, some other stuff. And it was going to be like 60 grand for two ops, you know, and that's not even building them out. That's just refitting them. Um, So, you know, I think people, underestimate the cost and complexity of doing these things and, and you know just pick something that already has enough chairs you know that you can grow pick something that you know at least has probably been updated to digital x-rays it's not just like film x-rays paper charts three ops <laughs> you know people they, they try to talk themselves into bad ideas well so you know way to the point you were just talking about tom i mean when when you buy your practice you know, being a smaller practice, how did you handle that? Because you didn't go for, you know, coming out of school, you didn't go for the, you know, the ADOP triple hygiene craziness that's out there. Because, you know, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people fall into the trap of, like, my first practice has to be a million dollar practice. So yeah. uh, the problem with million dollar practices is you got million dollar practice bills. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, my practice loan is a fraction of the practice loan of a million dollar practice. Well, I've got a million dollar practice now and I have the bills of a much smaller practice, right? So it's, it, it all adds up. But for me, I looked at offices where the lease was $12,000 a month. I don't want a $12,000 a month lease with a $10,000 a month practice payment. Um, and your $22,000 out the door before you make a dime in that office and the lease goes up three percent every year 
fixed and you can't wiggle on that. So it just gets worse. And people are like, okay, well, yeah, but it's only 10 years for a practice loan. And then you get to keep that $10,000 a month. It's like, you know, it's, it's a big beast to feed. I don't really want to manage um, massive amounts of staff. I know people who have offices that have 17 staff. That's mm-hmm. to me is insanity. I would, I wouldn't like that. So the nice thing about getting a smaller office is like the office grew with me. Like as my skills got better, as my speed got better, um, my confidence got higher. I, you know, the office just kind of grew organically and it worked out pretty nicely. I didn't feel rushed. I didn't have, you know, to meet certain production deadlines or, you know, I wasn't sitting there stressing about how I'm going to pay my $12,000 lease every month. Um, because it was all really reasonable. So even when COVID hit, um, I wasn't too worried about it because I, you know, I could just do a little bit of emergency dentistry and still kind of like pay my bills. It was kind of nice. So I think you got to be careful what you wish for. It's really easy to, you know, like you said, fall into that trap of, I need a million and a half, $1.8 million, you know, office with eight ops. Like I don't want to physically move my carcass into eight different operatories all day every day Uh, (laughs) and you got a big carcass so yeah i got a lot of i got a lot of carcass to move so you know it's just thinking about that like don't build a machine that you don't want don't buy a machine that you don't want i mean i people like send me practices all the time hey i'm looking at this practice i'm like okay so that practice does two hundred fifty thousand dollars of um you know all on four a year do you do all on four well no but i'll just stop doing that and i'll and i'll and i'll just do more general dentistry it's like well why would you pay for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in production that you can't replicate like that's a bad the bad move yeah i think that's a, a really important thing looking at practices and you know that it seemed like when i bought my practice i was one of the the things a bank really cared about was the procedure mix do you do the things that this bank that this practice is currently doing and can you add to what this practice is currently doing because if you can match what the practice is currently doing and it's going to cash flow then i I think they're a lot more comfortable but if i if i had taken a practice that was doing you know 250k and and all on x treatment the bank would have been like yeah you're fucking crazy dude we're not giving you this yeah the banks will usually talk you try to talk you out of bad ideas for the most part just won't give you money for them but you know, it's it's interesting. Like I, you know, this other thing. Like a lot of dentists over the course of their career will just stop doing things, right? I don't I don't mm-hmm. like extractions. So I don't do extractions anymore. I don't like root canals. You know, so I stopped doing root canals ten years ago. You know, so I walked out of school. Coming right out of school, I was able to add procedures to the mix right off the bat. You know, just keeping things in house that were being referred out, um, and that and that helped you know, right there immediately to, to help with the production of the office, just doing the exact same things and not referring them out. Um, so I think that a lot of people in school feel like they either just don't get enough reps in, they don't feel comfortable with their endo, or they, you know, didn't have very good rotations in oral surgery. They never really, you know, had the confidence to take out the teeth or, or they got rescued by the instructor. And so they come out of school with an incomplete skill set. And it's it's mm-hmm. pretty sad because you know that's easy easy productivity that you could you could get coming you know going in and buying an office if you were comfortable doing it and you know yeah I mean that was I mean that was me I didn't do I didn't do a single single molar endo in dental school not sure how Doctor Wood let me out but 
I didn't do it. Yeah, I was like, week. I think you got to go back. Yeah, now I'm now I'm doing like one a week. So I mean, you know, it's if yeah. you come out with an incomplete skill set, it's you know not not being scared to jump in and and do the things because you you got the skills. You, like you said, Tom, you just maybe didn't get the reps. So yeah, you know. start with easy stuff. You know, it's I did like a I did a root canal on number two the other day, and I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing you know maxillary second molar root canals? I thought. Should I, should I refer this out? And it was fine. Like, I've done so many hundreds and hundreds of root canals at this point that, you know, in school, they scare you. Like, oh, this has definitely got to go to the endodontist. But it's like, it's all endodontist teaching, right? Like, they just want you to refer to them, you know? And, like, some of them were great. Some of them, like, I wouldn't refer to them if they're the last endodontist on Earth. But it was like, oh, like, this is not radically more difficult than, than the number three. It's just slightly farther back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, more. Well, I, I think the big difference for me was having a having a cone beam in the office. Like that really increased my level of confidence doing endo because I don't guess anymore. Like I know what's there. I know where I'm going. I already know what my working length is for the most part. It might be a millimeter different, but I pretty much already know all of the variables that used to scare the crap out of me before I started. Yeah, I don't understand dentists that practice a lot of cone beams. They either don't know what they're missing or they're just cheap because it's worth every penny. Well, mm-hmm. so I did the I did the math the other day. So when I we've had the new cone beam, um, I now obviously don't have a payment on the old one, but we you know did the I did the math on the new cone beam, and it's like if I just took the money that we got from cone beams and X-rays that we take on it, like I'd be halfway to paid off. Like if I just put all that money back towards it. Yeah, I mean, I, a cone beam could. Like yeah, it doesn't even have to make me any money because it makes me so much money every time I take a cone beam. There's something expensive happening. Um, yeah, there's a root canal or an implant or something. It's it's just insane, and and it shows so many things that you just can't see on regular radiographs, and it blows my mind continually. I mean, I have all digital radiographs. I mean, you'd think I could see a lot. And I'm like, I don't know. It's a little bit suspicious. I'll stick a cone beam. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's like the world's biggest parl. And you can't see anything on the freaking PA. Yeah. And I mean, you know, what? so you take that cone beam and you find, you know, a, a parl or two on other teeth that are asymptomatic. And it's like, oh, look, there's more to do. Yeah, really. It really. I, I would say that the 3D scan really dazzles people um, when they see it in 3D. They, I, I don't think I've ever had anyone not opt for the treatment. I'm like, look, you see this like big black space where there's not any bone? We should do something about that. And everybody's like, yes, thank you. <laughs> like, sign me up as soon as possible. It's something. It it just is the next level of futuristic. For some reason, people just can't resist it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's another thing. Like, I mean, the office that I bought didn't have a CBCT, right? So I bought mm-hmm. one. I added one to the office um, as I developed my skills and took classes and, you know, added implant therapy to the office, which has really been an incredible um, boost to my productivity. Um, you know, it's just gradual growth, me and the office together. It's not like I had to jump feet first into this big thing that I couldn't, I didn't really know how to keep up with. I think that not being completely stressed to the max all the time is kind of a valuable thing to have in my life. Um, and I, and I think that I feel sorry for a lot of dentists that are stressed all the time, whether they're associates 
or owners, new owners or old owners or whatever. Um, there's just an unhealthy amount of angst in the dental population. And of course it manifests itself, depression, suicide, and, you know, binge drinking. I don't know. Is it whatever, whatever dentists are doing to see themselves. <laughs> crack cocaine, uh, crack cocaine, cocaine. you know, um, there's that dentist in Florida that hired a hitman to kill his sister's husband, <laughs> you know, just crazy stuff. Right. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think we need to have less crazy stuff in the world. And I think, dentists in general like you know be realistic make a few smart decisions and you can have like a pretty sweet lifestyle so that's my philosophy so tom tom let's i'm gonna ask you a question about staffing right now because you know you hear when when you buy a practice that you can expect you know near 100 percent staffing over right especially mm-hmm. if you buy from from a long-standing practice like you did do you still have your entire staff have you added and and how have you managed to do that so i lost no one until someone moved to another state and i added two or three three i don't know i've added like three staff and kept everyone except a person that was there for 25 years and and decided to move to another state which was great i mean obviously it was a big loss for the practice a lot of um, institutional knowledge, a lot of you know connection with patients that, that was lost, but that person really was ready for a change in their life and had been with the you know the office for 25 years, and you know I was glad for them to make a change. That's a huge change to make in your life after being and doing the same thing for 25 years, living in the same place for your whole life. Um, to to kind of finally make a bold decision, um, I was 100% supportive, uh, and you know that's we've we've sorted it out we've moved on i actually outsourced that my billing to a to an outside company so that saved me quite a bit of money over actually paying someone to do it in-house and um yeah everyone else is still there or and i've just added added front desk added a couple assistants um so no you don't have to have 100 percent staff turnover when you buy an office um, if you buy an office with a toxic culture and then you add in the dynamic shift of a new owner. Yeah, you could probably expect 100% staff turnover. I looked at offices for sale that had long-standing owner dentist and 90% of the staff had been there for 4 months or less. You know, I passed on those offices cuz that's terrifying, but it's not just a new dentist that's going to necessarily spark a complete uh turnover in all your staff. Um, you could hire one bad person and they could run off the rest of your good ones. Um, I am guilty of making that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I told you not to put your wife in as your office manager. Oh, yeah. That's always a mistake. Um, uh, it's uh, it's tough. That's the scariest thing for me. Like I am terrified every time I hire someone that they will chase away all the beautiful people that come to work with me every day and help me do great things. And that is the risk you take. And I think that Paul's dog is having a good time. Yeah, I'm like, do I, do I tell you to stop? But Minky Boodle, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> Old Minky Boodle. Yeah, she is a sassy motherfucker, let me tell you. Is, is your wife not doing anything right now? My wife must be asleep or something. And this is what, like, Minky will come over and she'll, like, put a toy right next to you. And then she'll look at you for, like, a split second. And then you go to look at her and then she just starts barking like a mad, mad bastard. Minky! 
Make it. Anyway. Um. Yeah. I think that you know, I spend an inordinate amount of time trying to think of ways to do good, nice things for the people that work with me every day. Um. We all loaded up and went to Costco today. We got dollar fifty hot dogs and slices of pizza and uh. You know, it cost and me like sixteen bucks. Shit. Of course, absolutely, one hundred percent. But it's like sixteen dollars to take a little, take a field trip, right? To to Costco, <laughs> feed my whole staff lunch. They were super stoked on it, um, you know, and you know, just stupid stuff like that. I mean, I'm on a first name basis with a taco stand across the street. You know, I just try to do good things. People stay where they're valued, and I want my staff to know that they're valued. And, you know, as long as they have a good attitude, everything else is negotiable. Um, that's all I care about. You can't, you can teach anything to anyone except their attitude. Um, yeah, so, so true. If they have a good attitude, um, all the technical stuff, like I've hired three people with zero dental experience and turned them into really good team members uh, just because they had a good attitude and they're willing to learn the rest. I think sometimes, you know, that just because someone has an education or someone's been doing in the dental field for a while doesn't necessarily mean that they're valuable. I mean, I've, you know, like you, Tom, I've hired two people off the street to work in the back office and they've both been awesome. Whereas, you know, I I know other doctors that are like, I, or offices that are like, I have to have someone with, you know, whatever, 15 years experience. And that isn't necessarily a benefit. If there's someone that has more than 10 years of experience in a dentist office and they're not currently employed by a dentist office, that's a real red flag for me. Absolutely. Why don't you have a job? You should definitely have a job if you're good at what you do. Unless you just like, you know, in a military family or something like that, right? Or like your hygienist, your husband got, you know, a new job or something that shook up your life. And that's the reason that you're changing locations from one place to another like that's fine i mean i wouldn't look down on somebody for that but if they're just not currently working and they've got a ton of experience like that's a little bit scary to me and i don't know i mean i think that ultimately i tell i tell my staff as long as you do what's right for the patients like you never get in trouble with me like even if it loses me money even if it's not the most efficient way to do it even if it's not how i would do it if it was the right thing for the patients I'm fine. I'm not going to get mad about it. Like we can talk about more efficient ways to do it. We can talk about ways to not waste money. Um, you know, I'm happy to have those conversations and I'm not mad about it. Um, let's just do it smarter next time. But you know, that's all they have to do. I mean, their job is to just take care of these patients like they're their own family. And my job is to remove the barriers to them doing that. And sometimes sure. the barrier is you. Sometimes you're the guy making it hard <laughs> for them to do a great job. Yeah, I I think a lot of dentists don't, or a lot of business owners in general don't see that point you just made right there. Yeah, people you want know, to I, do a good job for the most part, and where they yeah. really get frustrated is when you are creating an environment where they can't succeed, where they can't do great stuff. And I don't need every win in my office. You know, I had a situation where I had a girl that um, had slipped and fallen on the ice. And smashed out her front teeth. And my, you know, I'm from Alaska. My buddy from Alaska called me and said, Hey, you know, this girl, she's one of our local like ballet instructors. 
And, you know, she doesn't really have the money to fix her face, but it's kind of a bad scene. Um, can you help her? And I said, sure. You know, she flew down from Alaska. She came to see me. It took probably a year and a half, multiple, multiple rounds of surgeries and bone grafts and implant placements and all kinds of work to get her back to where she needed to be. And I ended up, you know, had to treat basically from canine to canine on the top, but we got her back. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. a pretty significant bill. And, you know, we set her up with a payment plan. She's making payments. And I said, okay, I'm going to watch and see, make sure, like, you know, she's kind of doing her part, making payments. I said, well, give her six months. She makes a payment every month for six months. So I kind of forgot about it. And seven months in, I said, hey, is, has that girl been making all of her payments? And my front desk says, yeah, she's, she's yeah, seven payments at one every month. You know, she's getting it done. I said, okay. I said, why don't you call her up and tell her I'm going to cut her bill in half. So her bill is going to take her, instead of taking her, like, you know, three years to pay me off, right? It'll be done in like a year, 15 months or something like that. And she goes, well, don't you want to call her? I go, no, you call her. Like, take that win. Like, I don't need it, right? Like, I do, people always, oh, thank you for this. Thank you for that. I go, you can have this one. You know, it's like, don't always look for opportunities to get all the credit all the time, right? Let your staff have some of those little wins. Yep. I had a, I, that's one of my, my, uh, favorite sayings when people say, you know, I have people all the time that are like, thank you for getting me in on such short notice. Like, I know you're busy. And I look at them like, tell the girls, thank you. Like tell the front office, thank you. They're the ones that scheduled you. They're, they're the ones that, you know, found, found the time for you to come in. I'm, I'm just the monkey that shows up to work and, <laughs> and they're the ones that really run the show. So, so tell like, they're the ones that really need to hear that. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. it, but yeah. it's not hundred percent. Right. It's, it's like, if you, somebody asked me, like, you know, can I come in? I broke my tooth. I go, I just turned to them. I'm like, Hey, can, can they come in? Like, I got no, I don't control any of that stuff. Yep. Um, which works out better. Every time I try to fix the schedule, I break six other things. Yep. Um, and, then I get, and then I get yelled at. <laughs> exactly. But you know, it's, it's just interesting. I think that people get their focus on the wrong stuff and it's like, I try to have a low stress day, get the job done, you know, go home. Everybody has a good day. That's, that's the most important thing, right? It's not, I don't ever talk to my staff, but honestly, I mean, this is probably counterintuitive or it goes against everything you're going to hear in podcasts and, and at these gurus. I don't talk about production. I don't ever tell my staff what the production needs to be. That's my problem, not their problem. I don't do huddles where we pull up the calendar and try to figure out how to get patients to schedule treatment that hasn't been scheduled or any of that stuff. And I, I mean, if people do, if people do that, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a great way to be productive. It's a great way to have more money coming in, but if, I don't try to make the emphasis and the focus of my staff on the money. That's my job. I think as the owner to monitor that stuff and to make sure the schedule is being built in a way where it happens kind of naturally and my job to diagnose and to you know explain the value to patients of the treatment that they need, um, but I don't want everything to be about money. I don't want my hygienist to have to worry if they've done enough fluoride, if they've sold enough electric toothbrushes. Um, you know, I don't know. That's kind of how I do it. So I think that we we have everything's a pendulum, but I think in the dental industry things have swung a little far, in my opinion, on in that direction of trying to make everyone worried about the money. And I think that when you're always worried about money and that's the main value that you 
portray to your staff, then that's what they think you're about. That's what they're going to want more of. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just like you said, like I try to do sort of the same thing. It's like, well, let's, you know, build the value for the patient. Let's have everybody do their job to the best of their ability. And it's like, it just follows naturally. Then, uh, you know, if everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, we're scheduling treatment and the money part just comes. So there's no, no need to really get bent about it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one of, one of my struggles is I inherited a practice where there was a daily production bonus. And I think it's the dumbest thing in the world because if they're, if we go into a day and we're scheduled over what our daily production goal is, they literally get a bonus for showing up to work. And so like I've really struggled at trying to find a way out of that hole, but mm -hmm. it's, it's become an expectation now. So yeah, you might be able to walk it back a little bit and make them more like weekly and then monthly if you really wanted to do it. I think that the unfortunate reality of bonus structures is whether or not we made bonus becomes whether or not we had a good day and or good month or whatever it is, however you want to delineate that, you know, time interval. And, um, you know, the office that I work in, uh, they have a bonus structure and people are pretty salty if they fall short right before, you know, for the month, it's not going to happen. Um, they start to spend that money before they get it in their mind. And I think that's, that's kind of a human nature thing, but ours isn't that way. We have, we I, like, honestly, I think seven out of my eight staff forget about it until they turn in their time cards. Like it's not something that they pay attention to, but I, I do have one person that, that, and she's the one that tracks it. So it makes sense that she pays attention mm. to it. Right. Um, but it, it, it never seems like it's really a, a sticking point. They're like, Oh, cool. We made bonus. You know, we had a crappy two weeks and we made bonus three times this two weeks or we made bonus every day this two weeks. Like I just haven't figured out a way to get out of it. And I would love. Yeah. Just uh, fire your whole staff. <laughs> I can't replace my staff where I am. So that's not going to happen. I, and I have, you know, I've mentioned it multiple times on this podcast, Paul, but I have, a, I do have a wonderful oh, staff. Yeah, I'm, I'm just being facetious. Uh, I know. Yeah, 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 good luck. Good luck fucking uh, <laughs> replacing the staff currently. Yeah, it's tricky. I think that you can inherit a lot of problems. I think that's another thing with an office. There's a lot of stuff you don't see. You know, you don't understand until you actually own the office and you start doing the work and then you start looking back and or patients come in and you're like looking at these x-rays and you're like looking at the documentation. You're like, what the hell did we get here? It's hard to pick up. I think, you know, you, you do a chart audit or whatever it is you do before you buy an office and, you know, you do a little sample platter, um, but you don't really recognize the patterns until you mm -hmm. have a chance to sit down and look. And it's like, oh, okay. Oh, uh, that's not great. It's one of those things that I, you know, I think that if you bought 10 dental offices, probably by the 10th one, you'd be pretty savvy. I think it's just, you know, every dental office is different and you can't even predict some of the shenanigans that dentists will do. Yeah. So Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, you know, it, that, was a, that was a good point as well, Tom. Like, it's like buying a car, you know, the first time you buy a car, you walk away and you're like, I did good. And you get like, four months down the road and you're like, I kind of got fucked on that 1994 <laughs> Camry that I bought. <laughs> you're like, how come I won't go in reverse anymore? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh wait, all of, all of my high speed tubing leaks. Like I didn't leak when I was here looking at it four months ago. Like, yeah, 
Yeah, there's a lot of little stuff that, that will yeah. take up on you. And things you don't even think about, like the tubing on your hand pieces is, gets wiped down with cavicide 80,000 times a week. It gets mm-hmm. stiff, right? So, like, I didn't even think about it. You're, like, holding the hand piece, and the hose is literally, like, at a straight <laughs> angle going sideways, like, 18 inches from the hand piece. It doesn't even bend, you know? <laughs> and you're like, wow, this thing's really hard on my wrist, you know? It's like, is this hand piece heavier than a normal hand piece? It's like, oh, no, I got... <laughs> two feet of tubing sticking up in the air you know so you call the guy right and every time the maintenance guy comes you know the equipment guy comes to your office it's a 250 fifty dollar bill no matter what i don't know how it's always a, at least that much and they change your tubing out next it's buttery soft and flexible and it feels amazing and you're like oh well, that's why I'm, you yeah. know um it's just stupid stuff like that little tiny seals or little connectors i had a stainless steel t and one of my hygiene ops that rusted through right at the T. It was like a little tiny super soaker squirt gun, you know, just shooting water out, you know. Uh, and the hygienists are like, hey, there's water everywhere. <laughs> I don't know why, right? You go in there, you're like, what the heck? You know, those little, little stupid T's rusted out, you know, call the guy, comes in, snip, snip, puts on a new T, you know, it's, the new one's plastic, right? So it'll probably break faster. Um, you know, <laughs> so you can come back out and fix it for two hundred fifty bucks. Two hundred fifty bucks a time, you know. It's just little stuff like that. I mean, it, it it you can't predict any of that. Um, I think though, like in general, like the big issue with dental offices is their profit margin can be really high, and because it can be really high, even if you're really bad at running it, it can just survive. And that's what a lot of practices yeah. do. They just kind of survive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's, it's easy. It's definitely easy to do that. So I think a lot of practices I look at, and dentists get mad when I say this, but I call them hobby practices, you know, kind of like a hobby farm. Like my grandpa had a hobby farm when I was a kid, right? He had like 10 acres of apples, two horses, two cows, like 10 chickens, five pigs. It's not a farm. Like he didn't make money. I mean, it was a hobby farm. Like he wasn't actually doing anything you know, to sell of any, you know, of any great volume. Um, and a lot of dental offices are just like that. I mean, they do $350,000 a year. They own the building. They have no debt. They have no student loans. They go with their office. They hang out with their patients and their staff. They do a little baby bit of dentistry and they go home. Um, it's not really something that you're, you know, they have, they haven't updated anything. Uh, mm-hmm. film x-rays and paper charts it's a hobby right it's just so that guy doesn't go home and drive his wife crazy um yeah. <laughs> and and i don't want to buy someone else's hobby i don't think yeah. you know it's a bad i think it's a bad idea um yeah. and you see very frequently people will post practices of on dental facebook groups like hey i'm looking at this practice and this is the numbers and it's got paper charts and i'm like that's a hobby that's a hobby practice it's not a real practice um it's not a real business it's not built like a business it's not going to make money it's not going to make money and pay for itself i looked at practices i looked at a practice that made no money at all had zero profit and the dentist held up a stack of referral forms, the forms that come back from oral surgeons and endodontists and periodontists and whatever, and said, all of this that I refer out, you could do. This is the profit in this office. You should buy it. And I was like, nope. <laughs> I mean, it looks good on paper, right? But yeah. 
it's just it's that's 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 out there it's 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 there's so many practices like that i had practices where the broker was like no one's gonna buy this office just give them this much money and they'll go away um (laughs) (laughs) it's like uh no um you know not in a competitive area you know i i consider that to be like a modified startup if you're gonna do something like that just consider it a modified startup you're basically but the problem is is you're just getting old crappy equipment it's not even like a regular startup or at least you get to buy all new cool stuff yeah um you just buy an old crap and a few patients just enough to basically pay your bills and, and you know pay the practice bills and not pay yourself you know there's some people that you know like if you guys ever follow um practice biopsy d'angelo webster i think is his name on on facebook mm-hmm. he did a really low cost startup like a 50 grand or 150 grand, some really tiny amount of money He's doing over a million dollars a year in dentistry. He runs like a super low overhead in the 40s, some odd percentile. And it was a startup, you know, some town, I think, in Michigan. Um, you know, smart guy, really savvy, does a lot of good Facebook marketing. And he gets like 100 new patients a month or something just insane like that. You know, that, that model, I think, can work in the right area. I have a friend in San Diego that got a practice where the dentist had like a million and a half dollar tax bill with the federal government and just like fled the country. It was, you know, it was like a, in a shopping center. It was all the equipment, all the charts, everything was just sitting there. And the shopping center goes, we'll give you all this crap for free if you sign a lease. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and she signed the lease and she's been doing dentistry out of there for like a couple years now. She's doing really good. Right. Got like an associate. She's like, you know, been really pretty successful. And apparently the old dentist randomly contacted her and was like, you stole my charts. You stole my patients. Like, this is a HIPAA violation, like blah, blah, blah. And she's like, sure, come back and like fight me for it. And the feds will pick you up and throw you in jail. Like, what are you going to do about it? You know, (laughs) but it's like, it's this crazy stuff is out there. Like, I think that people get too um, hung up on one type of dentistry or one way of being a dentist. Um, And I don't think they should, you know. Uh, I mean, none of us practice the same, right? And we're all doing what we want, and we're all making money, and we're all pretty happy, like you know. Fair, fair. Now, Tom, I got a, I got a big five question. If we think back to third year of dental school, you randomly started wearing a fanny pack, and I need mm-hmm. you to tell Ryan and I about that decision. Mm, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> I, I I actually still wear a fanny pack. Thank you for pointing that out. I wear it wow. in a traditional fanny orientation, not in the cross body bag way where people try to like pretend like they're not fanny pack wearers by wearing it across their body. That's mostly because I'm fat and the cross body position just makes me look fatter. Like there's nothing about having a fanny pack <laughs> slung across my chest and gut that was slimming at all. Like it just really doesn't look good. Um, so I do wear it like a bandolier um, of shame if you do that. Yeah, I do like kind of like a side hip situation. I don't wear okay, a fanny okay. pack like in the dead center front, like the 1990s dad fanny pack orientation. Um, and I don't wear it on my back. Like, on, like that's not accessible. Like that doesn't even make sense to me. Yeah, that's not. Uh, yeah. yeah, like that doesn't make sense. So like I wear it on the side, I guess. Um, mostly I got tired of losing stuff. 
And like <laughs> I like I'm pretty bad about losing stuff. Like actually my my wife saw like AirPods were on sale the other day and she goes, Oh, like AirPods are on sale for like ninety nine bucks. And I was like, Oh cool, like mine are getting kind of raggedy. Like buy a couple pairs, like one for you, one for me. Like let's just, you know, get some fresh ones. And she, they came in the mail, you know, from Amazon or whatever. And she was like, how do you set up a new pair of AirPods? And I go, oh, it's pretty easy. I said, you just open them up and your phone will recognize them and they will name them like your name, AirPod number, whatever. I go like these ones and I open the lid. I go, this is AirPods number seven. And she's like, this is your seventh pair of AirPods? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I I lose AirPods all the time. Like I have very rarely taken a flight longer than two hours and come back with all parts of my AirPods. I don't know why. Um, so Tom is keeping Apple in business. Yes. Um, so I'm on, I'm on AirPods number seven. Actually, I'm, I, I currently have five and seven. Um, number six, I got and lost immediately, like within a week. So six was completely <laughs> off the table. Package. Where'd they go? I had to go. Yeah. I had to go back to five. And then now she just got me seven. So I'm, I'm currently like, I have five and seven, um, but then she lost her case for her new ones, and she's using num- my number five case to charge her AirPods. So, ha! Um, but I how lose- many of these are in your daughter's room, Tom? Well, you know the funny thing is, is my sixteen-year-old daughter had one pair of AirPods for like my first six. She didn't lose her hers at all for <laughs> years. Um, and, uh, like that, my wife would always point to that. Like, I need a new pair of AirPods. She's like, your daughter literally is on her first pair. It's been like five years. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I, I make money and she doesn't. So I can afford new, <laughs> new AirPods. Um, so I don't care. Yeah. I, I put a lot of money into those, but I lose stuff all the time. And like, I, I like to wear jackets for some reason that don't have zipper pockets. So I was like losing my keys and my wallet and my AirPods and whatever, just constantly. Or just searching for them all the time, and it was driving my wife crazy because I would have to like she, she she would have to help me search the house for like 10, 15 minutes every time I wanted to leave because I didn't have anything. Um, so the fanny pack has been a huge time saver. I just try to keep all my crap in there: um, car keys, wallet, you know, AirPods, whatever. Um, so yeah, I think it's a solid decision. I'm old. I've been yeah. married for like twenty years. I don't need to impress anyone anymore. So I think a, a fanny pack is a super practical. I'm, I'm one step away from those like white new balance that all the old dads wear, you know? Like, so yeah, like, you know, you know what, this is how, how my mind works, Paul. I found a fanny pack that I really liked and I was worried that it would wear out and I wouldn't be able to find the exact same fanny pack. So I went and bought, bought like three backup fanny packs of that exact nice. style. And I have them upstairs in my bedside table, and if one of them ever gets damaged, I've got new ones ready. You know, to go. That's how like, dedicated I am. Like I watch think... display cases and like tie racks and things. I just like to think there's like this little sh- special shelves with your fanny packs on them. I, yeah. Tom, I'm impressed that you can lose a pair of earpods that are in your ear, but you haven't lost a fanny pack. Yeah, it's a lot bigger. <laughs> he never yeah. takes it off. Yeah, like I don't think I, I, I sleep. You know, I mean, showers, I sleep with it. I'm a never. You remember that, like, you know, never nude from never nude. Yeah, yeah I'm, I, I'll take off everything but the fanny pack. You're a um, never pack. No, I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's a good. It makes sense, right? It's like I don't know if I could say it's like socially acceptable man purse, like because I don't I don't really know how socially acceptable fanny packs are, but like, yeah, 
like my wife has got an ungodly amount of stuff in her purse. Like it just makes sense um, to have something that you can stick all your crap in. Um, and this is what I use that purse. And also like even just putting stuff in the pockets of my jacket. Like the problem is, is like the weather in Oregon changes every 16 seconds. So I don't always want to wear the same jacket all the time. So you have to go like find the jacket that you were wearing for the weather that was happening and then like move everything over to your new jacket. Um, fanny no pack shit. I, doesn't care. I literally lost my spare keys. We had some friends go out of town and their house key was on my, my spare keys for my truck. And I couldn't find my spare keys. And that was like a month ago. And then my wife was doing laundry and she pulled my spare keys out of a jacket I wore a month ago. Yeah. She's like, here's your spare keys. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I'm going to mail both of you a fanny pack and see if I can convert you. <laughs> It just makes sense. I mean, dude, I I want a '90s throwback like neon fucking green one. Saved by the Bell. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was gonna. Okay. I was gonna send you the one that I wear because it's amazing. Oh. Um, but okay. if you okay. if you want a '90s throwback, save by the Bell. I'm gonna have to get like a leather one that has like maybe some type of like antlers on it for for Ryan. <laughs> you know, something so, something that <laughs> looks like it was. A, handmade in a small village south of the border, you know, for Ryan get some turquoise, you know. Make sure you, if you're going to get one, Tom, you get the one with the little leather straps on it, like the ones that hang down, like the frills. Oh, yeah, yeah, like the little Cause, tassel cause, things. Because the bitches in Prime will love that. Yeah, all right. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that they love love it when you say that. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how many women do you have in Primeville? 14, 15 of them? Excuse me, there's almost 12,000 people in my town now. Really? 10,000 of them are sheep, though. (laughs) (laughs) They are not sheep. 10,000 of them are Facebook servers. But, you know, it's fine. Yeah. How many of them are uh, able to order off the senior menu? Uh, Not as many as you'd think, actually. Mm. The the problem is the people that are older that can afford to move to Central Oregon just move to Bend because they can afford it. And all the young people that are like, I'm going to come here and I'm going to move to Bend. And then they live with like nine people in a three bedroom house because rent's retarded. They're like, I can't live here anymore. I'm going to move to Prineville. And then they get a job at Facebook. So like when you say at Facebook, do you mean like in their data forms? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they actually employ like an actual like, job. Like I thought there was just like a whole room full of servers and like one guy yeah, but, to make sure electricity doesn't go off. But like it's all secure. So like there's, people that run the servers there's people that do maintenance there's people that do security like they literally just walk in circles around the server farm inside or i think i don't know they can't actually tell me what they do but i i assume that it's like this dude in a black security like get up with like cut off sleeves and no gun or anything just a walkie-talkie on his shoulder that just walks around in circles it says security on his back or his chest and He's got like the black lace-up boots, and I think they just walk in circles around each server and make sure no one's touching them. If you do that job and you're not on a hoverboard, you're an idiot. <laughs> or a segue. Just don't extract teeth while you're on that hoverboard. <laughs> or go to jail. Now, extracting teeth on a hoverboard will not put you in jail. Medicaid fraud will put you in jail. <laughs> Bringing attention to yourself by extracting teeth on a hoverboard after committing Medicaid fraud is a bad idea. Or letting your assistant extract teeth on a hoverboard after committing Medicaid fraud and videotaping it. And anyway, Alaska is a hell of a state. <laughs> Alaska is a hell of a state. You think you can get away with anything there, but apparently that's the line. Tom, you down to answer a couple of Reddit questions? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, 
I know you're I know you're big on mentoring, so I picked this one for you off the dental school forum. It says incoming D1. What advice do you have for me? Choose a different job. <laughs> uh, I disagree with Ryan. I wouldn't say choose a different job. I would say um, don't choose this job for the wrong reasons. Um, Amen. You know, I think there's a lot of a lot of people that I talk to that want to be a dentist don't really know what they're choosing and they're choosing it for the wrong reasons. But if it's what you want to do, if you want to be a dentist, no matter what, you're going to do it. You're an incoming D1. You got your acceptance already. Good job. Congratulations. Figure out as soon as possible what you want to do in this profession and get laser focused on it and start making moves in that direction. I knew right away pretty soon that I wanted to own a practice. And so I got focused on it and I put myself in a position to be able to do that. And I, made my educational path suit my future. Um, I think a lot of people wander into dental school, take what they get um, really passively, meet the minimum requirements, fall backwards off a log into the real world, take whatever crap job they can get, and then try to figure out what they want to do as a dentist, figure out who they are. And and they burn up a lot of years and a lot of uh, heartache and a lot of stress making that transition from where they ended up to where they really want to be. And that really makes me sad. I think that, you know, anybody that's going to put that much time, that many years and that much money into something, um, it's really strange to me that they do so really passively. I think, I think Tom, I don't know. My, my thought on that is like you, you Paul and I all had a lot of life experience coming into dental school. That right. is a nice we way of all... saying we're old as shit, Ryan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, but I mean, we we had done a lot of different things and we all at some point had been fucked over by those really shitty jobs or sure. really shitty bosses. And and we all kind of saw that that's, that's not where we wanted to be. But you look at a lot of like our class and there were a lot of, not a lot, there was a handful of people in our class that never gotten a paycheck. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, a lot of them went from homeschool to college to dental yep. school. And so they like, I think that they have to take that or they have to, they have to fall backwards off that log into a shitty job because you have to have it in order to appreciate what you have. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is, so people really spend a lot of time complaining about dental school or their dental education while it's happening to them. And I think that growing and becoming something is is not co- a comfortable process. And I think that dealing with difficult faculty or university policies that don't make any freaking sense whatsoever, arbitrary hoops that you have to jump through, and all the shenanigans that go into becoming a dentist and the stress mm-hmm. of doing so that's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to become the person that you're going to be for the rest of your life. And people want to, they want to shortcut that or they don't want any friction in that process. Like, why isn't this so easy? How come this faculty aren't all great? I mean, I love the, the nice faculty. They're really some of the people that were just super nice and would sign off on any piece of garbage that you put in front of their face. Um, but those aren't necessarily the people that made me learn. Those aren't the ones who made me a better dentist. It made me feel good about myself and I should, you know, hey, will you sign off on this shitty prep that I did? Oh, yeah, that looks okay, sonny. 
Um, you know, it was dude. Doctor Hanson was a saint, and you can't tell me any different. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of people that DMD, that's for sure. But you know, you have to recognize that there's people that are going to push you. I'm not talking about the people that are just dyed in the wool assholes that aren't there for your benefit, that aren't there to make <laughs> you better. They're just there for something to do, and something what they like to do is to be an asshole. Those, those people I don't have any patience for. But there are people that are going to push you. They're going to expect more from you than you want to expect from yourself because you're tired, because you have 18 different finals to take, because you didn't finish waxing up that damn denture that you probably should have finished waxing up. And they're going to ask something of you that in that moment seems like it's a bridge too far. It's the straw that's going to break the camel's back. And you're going to have to figure out how to get everything done that you got to get done and make it work and make it happen. And it's gonna suck, and you're gonna whine to it about your friend. You're gonna whine about it to your friends, and 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 think about that person as just the, the biggest jerk, and how they were just making adding to your load when you didn't need anybody to add to your load. Um, but those are the moments where you're gonna grow. So I think as a D one coming in, like don't necessarily think that the five million dentists that have already gone through the U.S. dental education system have ironed out all the kinks because they haven't. Um, yep. And they won't, and you won't either, right? Um, you're going to have to do a lot of stupid stuff that doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> and, um, you know, unfortunately, you're going to be better for it. And, you know, that's just how life is. So I think people say, what should I do between now and the start of dental school? Like, should I study dental stuff? Should I, you know, um, should I, like, try to shadow more? Should I go work in a lab? I'm like, no, go enjoy yourself. Because they're going to teach you everything you need to know in dental school anyway. And you're not going to have any free time to do anything fun. Like go to Europe, go do something cool, go hiking with your friends, go to the beach. I don't know. Whatever makes you happy, do it now. Because for the next four years, it's kind of going to suck. And, you know, there's nothing that you're going to learn working in a freaking lab for three months. That's going to even probably move the needle at all when you get into dental school. Just go in there with everybody else. Learn what the hell they tell you to learn. And get out the other side. You know, it's like if you're smart enough to get into dental school, you're smart enough to get out of dental school. The main way that you're people dead. get kicked out of dental school is by cheating, right? Don't cheat. It's stupid. It's not, you know, you can fail a bunch. They'll let you remediate all kinds of crap. But if you cheat, they'll kick you out. So if it's between failing and cheating, just fail it like everybody else does. Remediate <laughs> it. Say you're sorry. Go in front of the academic board or whatever it is that you have to do and move on with your life like it doesn't matter you know other than like the one person i can remember that just couldn't get good enough hand skills to get out of dental school that one remember that kid who joined our yeah, class yeah. like in third year you know he had gotten like he was like two or three classes ahead of us they kicked him out because he couldn't pass his you know check rides to get into the clinic and he like got a lawyer and he fought him back and forth for like a year or two they let him back into our class he was like oh yeah this is so easy. I know how to do all this stuff. And then like two weeks later, it turned out all his equipment and he left. He never came back. Um, yeah. That's the only person I ever heard about that couldn't finish dental school because they weren't good enough. I will, I will say, um, as Tom said, congratulations, young, almost D1, D0, as it were. And my advice to you is just marry rich. <laughs> Solve all your problems. Yeah. All right, Tom. So here's uh, your next question, not from the dental school forum, but from the Ask Dentists subreddit. And it says, are low quality dental x-rays common? 
I asked my new dentist I have an upcoming appointment with if they'll accept a transfer of x-rays I had done recently with my old dentist. I'd prefer to avoid doing multiple x-rays within the five-year span as well as the additional cost. The receptionist told me they frequently get x-rays of low quality, so she can't guarantee they'll accept them. Is this really a common issue or is it a red flag? Because my x-rays I got at my old office, they could use, so they obviously weren't low quality or they just wanted new x-rays to price gouge me. This is a tricky one. So I will say that low quality x-rays do exist and the quality seems to be worse when you try to transfer them from someone else to me. So like I have patients that come to me and they're like, I got a full mouth series at this other office. And I'm like, great, send it over. And they do, they send over their x-rays, but when they come over from the other office, they're like all on one page. It's not individual images a lot of times. And so I have my staff will load them up as one. And the only way for me to view them is to like zoom in on this one giant image and then like scroll around to read the x-rays. Even my own staff do look not great x-rays sometimes. Even I do not great x-rays sometimes, right? I mean, I wouldn't say they're low quality, but it's like, whoop, didn't really get the apex there. You know, these teeth are all overlapped. Uh, That sucks. Um, you know, so it, it's it's tricky. It's nice to have a full set of x-rays that were done in your system. Each one is loaded into the right spot for that area of the mouth. So you can go through them. You can read them easily. You can zoom in. You can adjust the exposure easily and really evaluate what's going on in the patient's mouth. What I do, and I don't know if this is the world's best business decision, but what I do a lot of times if like I bought a second office across the street from mine and I moved all the patients into my office and you know, a lot of them had, had had their x-rays or their full set of x-rays recently and they were film and I didn't want to look at film x-rays. And so the patients were like, well, I just paid old doc so-and-so to get a full set of x-rays. Like I got to pay you too. I just did them for free. I mean, when I say I did them, my, my staff did it. And I just <laughs> yeah, said, listen, know you know, this is helpful to me to be able to see what's going on. I realize that you or your insurance just paid for this in the last five years. They're not going to pay again. You don't want to pay me 150 bucks or whatever it costs for a full set of x-rays. Let's get the pictures. And, and so we can really make sure that we can say everything's healthy. Right. Um, and, and sure. Have them send the other x-rays over. Um, we'll put them in your file. It's nice to have reference images. If, if I'm looking at something that looks a little weird on my x-ray, I might want to go take a peek at the old x-rays to, to compare and see, has that been there? What is that thing? Um, you know, but that's kind of how I handle it. But yeah, I mean, x-ray quality varies from person to person. Transferring images, for, you know, depending on how they export it out of their system and how I can import it into my system, um, it, it often degrades it. Um, to the point where it's not very diagnostic or maybe they don't do what I do. I, you know, my full set of x-rays, I think is like 18 images. I know in the school we did 20. Some people do bite wings and anterior PAs. They don't do posterior PAs, right? Mm -hmm. So people think they have a full set of x-rays, quote unquote, they have them sent over. I still can't see everything I need. So in the amount of time it takes my staff to pop a full set of x-rays off really quickly, I know I've got everything. I know everything has been captured. Um, a lot of times I'll ask to do another set, but I will do it for free um, because uh, it's valuable to me diagnostically. It's valuable to me for records. 
And I don't throw the other dentists under the bus and say, oh, these are low quality x-rays or these other, we're the only ones who know how to do good x-rays. Um, that, I don't think that's appropriate. Excellent. I was, you kind of hit all the parts I was thinking about. I was like, most of the time it's just, it's fucking software and how they send it. I literally have had places like even worse than what you said, print out the FMX <laughs> and then put it on like a scanner and send it to me. It's just like, it's just black little white bits here and there. It's like, I don't know what the fuck this is. You know, it's just like, let's just take them. You don't have to pay for them. It's just easier for everybody involved. Yeah. yeah. I do get some like people that are kind of like radiation paranoid. You know, that's the other thing. Like, you just, know, just go in there with a banana and like tap them on the head with it and just be like, you just got more radiation from this banana than you will from my dental x-rays. Yeah, people love that. Um, <laughs> I just like hitting people with a banana. The funny thing <laughs> is, is a lot of times they don't say anything until you get to like x-ray 15 out of 18. And then yeah. they're like, what is going on? I have never had this many x-rays in my life. And you are irradiating me. And like, they don't want to finish. Like this hygienist comes in and they're like, hey, I can't get like my last two bite wings on this guy because he's freaking out about x-rays. And then you've got to go in there and have the stupid banana talk and the yeah, four hour. Like, give me my banana. Yeah, give me the banana. You know, four hour flight is the same amount of x-ray and like blah, 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 cosmic background radiation. But yeah, the point, sun today. Yeah, yeah. I checked the sunspots on the NASA website. But like at that point, they're mad. Right. And like no amount of rationalization is going to get a mad person unmad. I don't know. That's another yeah. D one going into dental school. FYI, you can't rationalize your way out of an emotional response. Like, so don't try. Just back away slowly or say yes, dear. That's what <laughs> I do. Yeah. Or like I do, I'll just let them sit there and yell at me and I'll just take it. And then everything's fine after that. <laughs> doesn't happen very oh, man. I got shit to do. I can't do that. Are we, are we talking about your 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 practice or your home life? Yeah, <laughs> it applies in all as, aspects. I mean, you know. Yeah. When you're not dentisting and losing things and wearing a fanny pack, uh, what kind of like pop culture stuff do you get into? Mm, you know, it's funny is um, we are like dragging our feet on finishing Ozark. So don't give me any spoilers or all. Oh, dude. You won't get you won't get it. a fanny pack for me in the mail. Um all right. Dude, all I don't right. know how many episodes you, are left. Good. Yeah, well yeah, it's it's been good up until this point. So I I'm I'm hopeful that it won't, you know, do a Game of Thrones on us and just crap itself out at the end. But um you know we've that's kind of like uh we've been working on that. Uh, my wife uh, is really uh, drawn to very terrible television. So if I'm not, um, if I don't voice a strong opinion, we end up watching like Selling Sunset or Bling Empire, which are both just <laughs> absolute garbage humans. I bet Craig watches those on TV. That's right? what I was yeah. just thinking too. <laughs> Craig and Lonnie should hang out. <laughs> they're, so, they're so bad. She, she, she's like her little guilty pleasure. I'm like, oh God, these are the worst. Um, but um yeah other than that uh you know i've i've really gotten hooked on like youtube videos about philosophy you know like there's this uh youtube channel called after school where they like animate talks by you know thought leaders and philosophers and stuff like that mm -hmm. and they're they're pretty great so i've been watching a bunch of those so i'm getting pretty wise 
um, nice, nice. from that. Well, but, I will tell you on the Ozark thing, because uh, I was really worried about it, because Game of Thrones, of course, is the one that it's like, yeah, it's just fucking sucked ass, and it makes me sad. But then, like, I watched Dexter. They were like, hey, you know how the ending of Dexter was fucking horrible? Let's make another season of Dexter where we can make the ending of Dexter fucking horrible. And I was really <laughs> bummed. So when Ozarks was ending, I was really worried. And I just want to tell you, like, I was very satisfied with how it ended. Like, I was pretty yeah, happy. So I look forward I've got to my own. I've got, my own, I've got my own theories, which I won't share with you because I think that. Yeah, know, don't because I won't respond, be able to. respond to my theories and, and, and shoot them down or validate them. And then I'll, I'll prove myself right. But uh, that's a good show. I, I think it's a dangerous show, though, because, like. It, it's you know you start thinking the wrong kind of thoughts when you watch Ozark. You know you're like, yeah, I could launder money. Like this seems pretty simple. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was gonna say you're like looking up on how to how yeah. to do money laundering. Like yeah, googling yeah, it. You're feel. like, if a high school kid could do this, like I, I mean, I got 13 years of college. I could definitely do this. You know? Um, so I think <laughs> you know. But then I think about like, I don't want to go to prison. You know? And that's like my main thing. I'm just like, I'm not built yeah. for prison. You know? Dude, you, like, have a like my back, you would not last in prison. Yeah, I know, I know. It was not the fanny pack they'd be going for, but um, you know, <laughs> it'd be the fanny. I like I like creature comforts. You know what I'm saying? So that's just not my scene. But and that might like I could never commit crime with my wife. Like that that is completely un um realistic as far as like my my actual my my family because my wife would tell on me immediately immediately. <laughs> um, when I when we were in, when I was in dental we, we were all in dental school. Um, she came down to meet me at lunch one time. And we were going to take the streetcar over to the food trucks by Portland State University, which is, you know, pretty short, like five minute streetcar ride. And I both worked for Legacy Health, which gave me free rides on the streetcar. And I was a student at OHSU, which gave me free rides on the streetcar. So I was double covered, right? Like I'm, I'm like double covered for streetcar rides. So when we got on the streetcar, I took my OHSU name badge off and put it on her neck. And I'm like, there, I'm wearing scrubs, so I look pretty official. And now you have an OHSU name badge. you know. But I've ridden the streetcar dozens of times and never had the ticket checker be on there. And sure enough, as soon as it pulled away from, from the Collaborative Life Sciences building heading towards PSU, the dude walked right up to my wife and was like, can I see your ticket? You know, and she, like she was completely flustered. She started like admitting to crimes she didn't commit. You know, she's like, "I shot JFK. I stole, <laughs> I stole a baby." You know, she was. I was like, "What are you doing?" You know, and she's like holding up my name badge and, and and like stammering and like, "Well, I mean, I've got this." And like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, "You gotta know which is your name badge." And she's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Okay," and just walked away. And she, and she was ready to just like go to jail like she folded immediately like nothing she had nothing like she could like i would never ever commit crimes with her she is not windy at all she's not windy bird so yeah just understand that if you watch ozark and you want to become a criminal mastermind just really do um an honest evaluation of your family before you partake in that lifestyle because that showed me right then and there that I would never commit crimes with her. <laughs> Good to know. What about um, Ryan's way behind on Marvel movies? Are you, are you caught up? Oh God. Um, let's see. I, I need to watch Dr. Strange. I've been trying to sell that to my family. Oh dude, I, it's good. It looks good. I feel like it is. It's evil. Dead 4. 
It's great. It's Evil Dead Four. I feel like the multiverse has gotten has become like the new time travel trope, and and sure. I and I think there's a little bit of multiverse fatigue in my household because we just watched everything everywhere all at once. Um, which was actually good as well. If you guys are, are are thinking about going to watch that or you know renting it, whenever it comes out on direct TV or whatever, it's a good movie. Um, but also features the multiverse. Um, and I, you know, I think Rick and Morty have just like multiversed everything at this point. Like if you have a yeah. well, uh, the that. Rick and Morty writers also uh, wrote or wrote parts of uh, Doctor Strange, so there's a lot of uh, kind of that vibe to it. Mm, yeah, and I'm super into it. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And like, my family's like, uh, no thanks. But I need to watch that one. I will admit, I wasn't, I didn't really jump onto like the Winter Soldier, Captain America train too yeah. well. I think I missed a few of those. That one was all right. I mean, it was just sort of like a six part action movie. Nothing really happened. Right. I, I feel like the sleeper one was, did you see Hawkeye? No, I don't think I did watch Hawkeye. Hawkeye was good. Hawkeye's worth the worth the watch. I'll, I'll go. I'll go back and catch that one up. It turns out I missed a Thor movie somewhere in there. I didn't realize it, which really you missed in. Ragnarok. No, no, no. I did not miss oh. Ragnarok. I watched oh. the hell I was like, That's out of the that one. on multiple occasions. But there's like a a Thor movie that I didn't see that I didn't know I didn't see, which is the Thor movie where Ragnarok picks up from. And it really like filled in a lot of blanks for me because I didn't read like when he shows up and like Loki is pretending to be his dad. And I'm like, there's all this stuff that happened in this Thor movie I didn't know about. Um, and I didn't know I didn't know about it until I was on an airplane flying to like Philadelphia. Are you talking about Thor too? I don't know. It's one of the one of the Thors that basically like set the stage for a lot of other things that happened both in the Marvel universe and in the Thor universe, and I hadn't seen it. Okay. But I did watch it. Now I know. Now I understand. You watched it. You don't know what it's called. <laughs> I don't Thor, whatever Thor, or something or another. I don't know. There's a million. Thor the Dark World. Yeah, maybe. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other one is just Thor. Yeah. <laughs> Those are your choices. If you saw Ragnarok, and it's not yeah. the one where he's like, "Oh, I can't pick up my damn hammer," uh, then it's okay. Dark World with the yeah, elf yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The elf guy, right? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Tom, and I'm like, really glad that you're here to talk Marvel with Paul because he always yeah, says I, I need someone. I always to. like, dude, I have no fucking idea. I mean, as you yeah. can see, I'm not like a good Marvel fan, but I am a fan and I do watch the shows. I think Ragnarok was amazing. I'm a huge fan of Taika Waititi or whatever his name is. Um, everything he touches is pretty much gold. If you did yeah. you watch that movie with that like chubby kid running around in New Zealand? No. Tell the hunt. It's a great description. It's like it's the that. hunt for wilder people or something like that. Okay. Uh-huh. It's pretty hilarious. It's the same dude. It's got a bunch of the Ragnarok. He, like Taika Waititi is basically like New Zealand's Adam Sandler. You know what I'm saying? Like he puts the same people in all of his movies. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. um, the uh, what's who's the guy that runs um the planet uh, in Ragnarok? Uh, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. So Jeff Goldblum's like right hand woman, that New Zealand lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in it. Um, in in this movie, The Hunt for Wilder People. It's a pretty good movie. Basically, it's just like this foster kid who like gets stuck on this farm out in the country in New Zealand, and then like 
that's the basic plot of the movie. But it's it's a good movie though. I think it's a pretty good movie. But he he did that one too. But um, um so Tom, my wife is telling me I got to get off this because she wants to watch the staircase, which is a, a good crime y thingy. But before was we go, you got to tell us one one fascinating reptile fact. Go. Oh God! One fascinating reptile fact. This is ridiculous. That's like too tall of an order. Um, let's see. A fascinating reptile fact. So, like, Paul has been trying to brand me as like the reptile dentist because I happen to own a reasonable twelve turtles. That everyone should own twelve turtles. It's a normal amount of turtles to own. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I, you know, I don't know what's a fascinating reptile fact for you, Paul. Um. A lot of people it's don't for realize our listeners, not for me. That, okay, well, a lot of people don't realize like a turtle can't come out of its shell because of like cartoons. I guess that's like a thing I see posted online quite often. Like, guess what? Turtles can't come out of their shells. They are their shells. Like their you know vertebrae is fused into the top of the shell. Like they literally you know they don't just like come out of it and run around and go back in it. Um, which is hilarious that there's adult human beings on the planet that that don't know that. Um, but. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't I have a like reptile fact. Maybe ready Ian to go. really is the reptile guy now. Is he? Yeah. I don't know. I have more than he does uh, at this current moment. Yeah. In time. Tell us something about like fucking Komodo dragons or something. Yeah. Well, Komodo dragons are pretty crazy because for the long <laughs> time we thought that Komodo dragons had killed their prey by infecting them with bacteria in their mouth, and it turns out they're actually venomous. Um, so huh. that's an That's kind of like bacteria. Yeah, I got into dental school on a lie then. Oh, really? Why is that? <laughs> yeah, well, one of my dad uh, reading comprehension things was on Komodo dragons, and we just weirdly watched a uh, documentary on Komodo dragons on like Nat Geo the night before, and it talked about the bacteria. Fucking, you know, they would die from infectious wounds. Blah 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 blah, blah. and that was yeah. one of my reading comprehension things. That was a hypothesis. It was like, oh, okay, well, like they're they're giant lizards, right? They're like twelve feet long. Their largest currently living lizard. There were some like prehistoric monitor lizards that were like, you know, twenty, like the size of crocodiles, but they're all gone now. Um, but um, yeah, they're super big, right? So they're like, yeah, they'll bite a deer, uh, you know, or a water buffalo, and then it gets infected in the tropical heat, and then it like dies, and then they just like track it down and eat eats the, you know, they just eat the dead body. But yeah. it didn't really make sense because they die way too fast. Like it, it, it mm. like they die faster than it takes for like sepsis to set in. So they did some analysis and found out they were actually venomous. We have um, a species of venomous lizard, you know, here in North America called Gila monsters. Um, but they're really small. Um, they're not very big. They don't. They're not like venomous. Venomous. Not very monstrous. They kill people, right? They're like a you know foot and a half long at the most. You know, they're pretty chubby. They don't. They spend ninety percent of their life underground, and mostly like bird eggs out of their nests and stuff like that, and like you know whatever they can get. Um, so they're not like nearly as scary as Komodo dragons, but yeah. So Komodo dragons, turns out they are you know venomous, um, which is is kind of cool. They're, unfortunately, you can't really own Komodo dragons. Um, the the closest you could get to a Komodo dragon that you could purchase just like off the shelf from a random reptile nerd to be a Asian water monitor, and they get like a good eight feet. You know, they're a good sized lizard. Um, you know, yeah, but I mean, eight feet is definitely a good sized lizard. Right, but it's I like mean, they're not Komodo they, dragon big, but 
they got to monitor all the water, so they should be big. <laughs> That's what they do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, and I used to have uh, a caiman, which is like a small alligator species from South America. You can get those, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you can buy alligators. I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I can. You can own alligators in Portland where I live, but I think there are parts of Oregon where you can own alligators. Um, they're pretty terrible pets, let's be honest. Um, but uh, I, I was young. I thought it was cool. So I, I got one and, and had it for a while. So yeah, I'm not a fan of anything that could eat me. Yeah, they're not probably big enough to eat you, but they could definitely bite the shit out of you. Yeah, Ryan is small. Ryan is pretty small. That's why we call him Tiny Yeah, Cayman could probably eat Ryan. Yeah. Well, oh, I was talking about an alligator. Yeah. There are no, alligators definitely eat you. Yeah, eat two cool. of you. Yeah, alligators <laughs> Just definitely a snack. Eat Orders, they ran. Did you see that video where that guy in Florida, that guy's like little dog got grabbed by an alligator and the guy like jumps in the water and like pries the alligator's mouth open and like uh, <laughs> gets his dog back? I'd do that to save Minky Boodle. <laughs> She's kind of annoying. I might throw her in. <laughs> yeah, she is kind of annoying. Well, I it's now 1027. I actually have to yeah. get up at like 430 in the morning. So, yeah, oh, guys. I have surgery at seven thirty, so I'm gonna. Yeah, I got surgery at seven. Yeah, Tom's right. like, I don't work tomorrow. I do work tomorrow, and I I have I don't have surgery till seven thirty. So I, he's at a not. he's at a side gig tomorrow. Yeah, it's not too bad, but I don't know. I don't I don't know what I'll be doing tomorrow, but probably a bunch. Well, of Tom, uh, we gotta all get together in person sometime. Yeah, that you guys are both going to be like busy for the next eighteen years, so we'll see how that works out, Paul. Yeah, well, come down, say hi. You've still never seen my place. I know. I need to. I apologize. No that. one's seen your place, Paul, other than you. I know. You need to come, too. I agree. We should. Yeah, we should have a conference at your guys' uh, uh, off-the-cusp conference, a professionalism conference, something. We could do it at your little yeah, retreat. Yeah, we, we could, could all write it off. It'd you could use great. the Augusta rule to write it off on your taxes. You could rent the house to yourself for like $2,000 I mean, if, if, we, if we find a way to put some dentistry in there we could all write it off so let's do that i mean we could just talk about dentistry and write it off dude i don't know how your accountant works but that's how it works yeah uh, i mean that's, that's they don't know um all right man <laughs> well all right peace guys love you oh shit i walk around town with my fanny pack you know I've got it on when you hear the snap of the buckle around my waist. Click. And now my fanny pack is in your face and it's stretchy. It's made of elastic. My fanny pack is fanny packtastic. My fanny pack is cool. Everybody tells me that my fanny pack rules. My fanny pack. My fanny pack. My fanny pack is cool! My fanny pack! My fanny pack! My fanny pack rules! My fanny pack is on! My pants are sagging! Let's hop on the fanny pack bandwagon! That's what all the good rappers do! I wear my fanny pack to the side cause it's cool! And I get a lot of girls with my fanny pack on! Let's have sex all day long! Okay! If you insist, my fanny pack is priceless. Hump me in the butthole all day long. Take your pants off and leave your fanny pack on. 
And this happens every day! Oh, Magic Fanny Pack! Show me the way! My Fanny Pack! My Fanny Pack!